Welcome to the Journals with Jane podcast, a podcast produced by Palmer Jane. My name is Holly Prose, and on this podcast, I will be joined by my co-host and co-founder, Catherine Leonard. Cannabis is a pretty hot topic these days. The cat is out of the bag. This plant is powerful at solving things that still mystify modern medicine. While yes, the clinical studies are limited, the anecdotal evidence abounds. Stories of better sleep, reduced anxiety, breaking through PTSD, fighting autoimmune diseases, and that's just to name a few. Yet even in states where cannabis is legal, the stigma lives on. Why is that? We feel it's time to change that narrative and open our eyes to these life-changing stories. And on this podcast, we aim to do just that. We will be interviewing real women who have had their struggles with real life. Struggles being a mom, being a career woman, struggles reaching midlife, dealing with disease and mental health, and well, just trying to do it all. This podcast is about real women, real discussion, and the real benefits that cannabis has had for them. Ladies' life is too short to suffer. Thanks for joining us for the first season of Journals with Jane. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we have Amy Terrio on the show. Amy is going to share with us all her journey with a condition called PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. She will also share how she has dealt with this and how cannabis has also helped her throughout her journey. Amy is an amazing advocate for breaking down the taboo of discussing women's health and infertility. And today, Amy joins us from her home in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So thanks for being on today, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, what a very sweet intro. <laughs> like yes. sometimes, sometimes you, you know, you like to toot your own horn, but then when you hear other people say it, it's very sweet. So thank you. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, and well-deserved, well-deserved. I definitely love everything that you're putting out there on social media and kind of the mission that you're on, um, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But I guess to kind of start us off, do you mind sharing just like a funny or interesting story about yourself that will give everyone an idea of who you are? Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, funny and interesting. Um, well, I come from rural Nova Scotia. So if um, for your listeners, it's way on the East Coast of Canada. Um, it's the furthest East you can go until you have to get on a boat and go across to Newfoundland. <laughs> so if you, you know, drive across the country, we're the most Eastern province. Um, that way. Um, so I grew up in rural Nova Scotia, a town called Anakinish, and, um, you know, your typical um, fishing, farming, you know, <laughs> like get her on in the woods in the weekend kind of type of, um, of a lifestyle. And I'm one of six children in my family. So I come from wow. kind of a um, a bigger family, you, you know, you don't really typically hear of that big a family as much these days. Um, so, uh, I am one of six and, um, some out of really curiosity, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. where do you fall in the lineup of one of six? Are you youngest, oldest, middle child, <laughs> number four? <laughs> yeah. So good question. And, you know, sometimes I do like to play the middle child card, you know, like I'm a byproduct of, um, the, uh, elders and also try to take the helm for the younger. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm number four. And so something specifically interesting about me is, um, I, 
don't typically talk about this as much, but I actually work in government relations. And interesting. so it's, it is an interesting side piece because I advocate for better care, better access and breaking down barriers for women's health, but I also work in government relations. So it's an interesting kind of side piece um, and it's a delicate dance that I do every single day to make sure that my tone and delivery and everything is um, keeps me in a job. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't ruffle too many feathers, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, okay, you work in government, you live in Nova Scotia. So do you mind just kind of telling us like, what does a typical day in your life look like? Pre-COVID, it would have involved uh, going, you know, getting in my car, getting a jug of coffee and heading down into the city. I live about 20 minutes. I'm in the suburbs. So, you know, drive downtown, go to work, go to in a big ivory tower, you know, bash on a keyboard all day long and, you know, (laughs) Um, and come home. Um, that was kind of like, you know, my typical day. Um, but, and then I would do um, Instagram on the side. I started it kind of as a way to um, share, you know, random photos like we all kind of did at one point. And then probably about two years ago, I ramped up the Instagram thing a little bit more. But then when COVID happened, Um, we had our work from home order. So since March 16th, I have worked from home pretty consistently. I'm starting to go into the office now twice a week. But with COVID came a huge shift in the way that government relations works, right? Because most of the our most of our engagement was um, sending people on a plane to go and visit with like these government officials and do that and, you know, trade missions and everything. And so when the world shuts down, you kind of have to pivot <laughs> um, a little bit. So I was finding myself not only in a position of having, you know, my regular nine to five, not so much, uh, not doing so much like immersive work. And I had a bit of downtime to kind of just like figure out what to do. And then the other thing was that was happening in my personal life is that I actually was experiencing infertility and just in the middle of a pandemic, no access to healthcare, like minimal access to healthcare. So what I did was like on my breaks and at lunch or whatever, I would just jump on Instagram and just start talking, talking Mm -hmm. about my experience, talking about my journey. And then that just catapulted into a huge community of people just really interested in what I was going through. And, and I was like, okay, well, if you're interested, I'm, you know, I'm the type of person, once I get an audience, like you can't really shut me up. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, so my day to day now is just kind of dipping in and out. Like, you know, I'll be really busy with my, you know, my work that I do nine to five. But if I, you know, take 10 minutes and like have a quick small break, I'm like jumping Mm -hmm. on, you know, social media to do something. And it's like, I got this like little hustle of a life. Um, That's so cool though. And I think like, I I do want to highlight this because I think what you're doing on Instagram is so cool. And like you said, you started out just kind of using it for personal purposes and then it slowly, 
you know, sort of made the shift into this, you sharing your own story with infertility. So was there like a particular moment where that shift happened or was it gradual? It was gradual at first, I would say pre COVID, I really was open about my, like I had a lot of hormonal issues. I had irregular cycles. Um, I knew that there was an underlying PCOS, but it was slightly unconfirmed. So it was really gradual at first. But when COVID happened, it got so accelerated because I really felt, and like a lot of us, you know, felt kind of alone because all of the health services were really focused and geared towards the COVID response, you know, response. So it was, you know, rightfully so they, they were like, what the heck is happening? There's this virus taking over the world. Um, and so things like, you know, regular clinics were shutting down, um, people's egg retrievals were getting canceled and people going in IVF and all these people that I was following because I was like, hmm, like, I know that eventually we're going to have to, you know, say we're going to do IVF, we're going to do IUI or whatever. And I was following them merely for my own, own personal benefit. But then I was seeing what was happening to them and understanding that like, wow, I represent that space too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also just somehow was able to find my voice and have this interconnected, you know, microcosm happen and everybody just starts sort of following me. And it was just completely accelerated probably with like in May and June is when it really accelerated. Mm -hmm. I was just feeling that there was a lot of folks within the um, community feeling like unheard, dismissed, um, completely, you know, disregarded. The other thing too, that was happening is that everybody who either uh, was home was getting pregnant during the lockdown, (laughs) announcing their pregnancies, complaining about being home with their children, all these kind of things. So you, you know, you have all this whole community of stay at home, like moms who are working and da, 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 versus this community of people who can't get pregnant, have had multiple failed miscarriages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was like a real, like, whoa, us versus them type of experience. And I was really finding, I'm like, I need to figure out a way to cut through to, to get both of those communities to talk to each other, to connect to each other. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's a sad experience for one. It's a happy experience for the other. They're not mutually exclusive. We all have a role to play. Mm -hmm. We all have this ability to, you know, to honor and and hold space for women in general. So I was going to say, I think women in general, right? Like we have to be there for one another, regardless of each other's life situations. Yeah. I just took it as an opportunity to be completely wide open and be like, Mm -hmm. this is causing me anxiety. You know, this is making me sad, you know, but at the end of the day, I trying my best to acknowledge that we have to hold space for everyone. It's not a mutual, Mm -hmm. it's not mutually exclusive. And I think a lot of people have gravitated towards that message because um, it's really just an important aspect of of that higher being of women's health is that you know prenatal postnatal um you know menstrual reproductive health anxiety um postpartum 
even people who choose not to have children too. There are people out there who just don't want to have children and that's okay too, but they also are, you know, they also menstruate. They also have a reproductive system. They, you know, they might have issues that um, are affecting them that not necessarily related to infertility. Right. So, right. Well, in general, right? Like the, so the PCOS, like obviously, you know, that that's going to affect you, whether you're interested in, you know, having a family or not. And, you know, I'd love to hear more about that condition kind of from you. Like what has been your experience with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's a real, like, I've tried to kind of map it out multiple different times about the timeline. And I think just for the sake of, you know, here, it's just, it's real messy timeline. Cause I think some, sometimes I think, oh, did it start here or maybe here? But anyways, just for the sake of um, kind of keeping it concise and stuff, it started out as I used to have like really heavy periods, even at the eight, like when I first got my period and um, it just kind of was always heavy. And then I was on birth control. I kind of, ebbed in and out of birth control for a few years but it wasn't until I got off birth control completely because I decided I just didn't want the you know the added hormones and stuff I was noticing a lot of irregular cycles and like um, tremendous amount of cramping pain and just really heavy bleeding that really affected my ability to be in the office at work and like it's embarrassing when you have to say I'm sorry I have to take a sick day because I'm bleeding so much so it was like all these things were happening and, you know, I kept going back to the doctor all the time and saying, you know, this is my symptoms. I have this, you know, I'm so tired. I literally am so anxious. I'm bleeding all the time. I had like a 22 day cycle, then I had a 60 day, 63 day cycle. Like it was just way wow. all, all over the place. Um, and, you know, I go to Dr. Google for everything as most of us do. <laughs> and it was for better really- or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but I think that, you know, in terms of women's health, that is really the best place to go sometimes. But I was finding online that that was a glaring response I was getting was PCOS or like endometriosis. So kept going back to the doctor and they, the first thing they would always say is birth control, birth control, get on birth control will help regulate your cycles. And I'm, you know, me, I was like, no, but what's the cause? Like, I don't want birth control because I eventually want to have children. Uh, what's the cause? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We'll run these tests and everything. And the test would always come back normal or within range. But basically, it wasn't until I finally got into like the specialist area that they were like, oh, you probably have PCOS. And the way that they said it to me was like so flippantly like, oh, you probably have it. Like they didn't even look at my charts. They didn't even like run any labs at that time. They just Hmm. were like, you probably have it. And I was like, well, Dr. Google has told me that for the last three years. So thanks. (laughs) Thanks for finally confirming what I'd already researched on my own. (laughs) Exactly. And so I... I I finally got um, my official diagnosis in June of 2020. And that was actually through a fertility clinic um, because they were able to really drill down into the the labs and everything. But it was just like a culmination. And I think the most glaring thing for me was just 
knowing that there was something wrong. I knew there was always going to be something wrong and I didn't really necessarily know how it was going to end, but ultimately it ended into this new infertility journey. And Mm -hmm. so it just kind of sucks that like at the time I was saying, you know, help me, help me, help me. And they just were kind of like, okay, you go to, you know, go to this specialist or go here or whatever. And then they just, so you're kind of like bouncing around between all of these different doctors and you're like, no one's giving me an answer. What do I do? Yeah. Had they suggested IVF at this point yet? Yeah. So that's kind of our new thing um, is uh, probably, I would say about a month ago, we decided that that would be what we wanted to do, but it's completely unfunded here in Nova Scotia. So everything is out of pocket, even the drugs um, I came to find out. So uh, yeah, that's my new journey. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I wanted to kind of just circle on and, you know, this relates to how we got connected, Holly, is Mm -hmm. um, in terms of a lot of symptom management. So I really, um, you know, was taking ibuprofen and I was taking it more than normal. Like I remember at one point thinking to myself, geez, like this can't be that good if I'm taking Advil so much. And I'd always been a cannabis user. Um, and I'd always kind of thought of like use it as a recreational social drug. And I was never the type of person to like have weed on me. Like I would like go to a friend's house and we'd like smoke or whatever, but I'd never really go buy it myself. Um, because, you know, I was like, well, I don't really have anybody to smoke with, but it wasn't until, um, actually that cannabis was legalized here in Nova Scotia in 2017. I, you might want to fact check that it might be 2017 <laughs> or 2018. It was definitely around the year I got married, but they said you could get really good cannabis oil. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started using cannabis oil of, as a way to help with sleep. Cause I was like not sleeping. I'd have to wake up in the middle of the night, take ibuprofen. I would be like heating up magic bags, like everything I could do to ease the pain or like, you know, symptom management. Um, and then obviously with everything that's been going on, especially with COVID, you know, anxiety, there is no doubt in my mind that cannabis use for anxiety is the only thing that works for me. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has their vices and stuff. But for me, it's going in the bath and smoking a bowl and just like kind of getting inside myself and think like, it's going to be okay. Like in it, opens your brain up to just getting out of that narrow mindset that you're in and allowing you to really like start thinking more intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I like it at the end of the day, whenever it's, everything is just like, you know, messy. I like to smoke a little bit or like take a little bit of oil just to bring the tone down and to take the edge off. That's what Catherine and I always say, just take the edge take off. The edge off. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of been like, you know, the number one thing for me is that, you know, having the ability to access good cannabis, because, um, you know, having a regulated body that allows you to get, get good cannabis, and you know, what dosages that you're getting, you know, what types of strains you're getting, you know, what the strains do for you. They actually just opened up a new cannabis shop, literally right, like down the road from here, which is nice, because 
when they released it, um, they only did like certain stores and now it's like opening up to more of the province. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also grow your own. So this summer during COVID, I grew a weed plant and I sang to it every day and <laughs> it was amazing. And I didn't go like a lot of people I know were like getting into the hydroponic business of it all and, you know, doping it way up. I just let that little baby go like a homegrown, perfect thing. And everybody I know says I have good weeds. So So you're feeling pretty good about your skills. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's all I consume now is my own stuff. And there's something so completely magical about growing your own. And before we started recording, I was talking about how I love gardening and never thought I would love gardening but it kind of has like, it's a very holistic approach to it. You know, put the seed in the ground, you what you let it grow, you eat it, you know, it's good for your body because you took care of it and you consumed it. It's kind of the same way I feel about my baby little cannabis. It was like, I watched it grow. I took care of it, you know, and then when I cut it down, I smoke it and I know that it's good. I know it's not laced with anything. I know it's completely 100% natural. Mm -hmm. Um, organic soil yeah all that good stuff right do you run any tests on it to know what the cannabinoid content is or anything no because like I said earlier I come from a rural town that was like you know it was just homegrown or hydro you just knew the difference right like you just (laughs) was like and when people start talking about the strains I'm like I don't know does it just does it just do what it needs to do because like I don't know what the difference is You must still find strains that don't work for you. I find there are certain ones that give me anxiety. Yeah. um, That like I have had multiple times where I, you know, even as a kid to this day, it's funny that you asked that because even as a kid, being in certain social situations and like smoking with people and then getting really paranoid and <laughs> being like, no, this is not what I wanted to happen. Yeah. Um, and Back I in know those high school days, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And you know that, you know, now that I've been educated a little, I know that those are like the real high THC, um, you know, sativa kind of leaning ones. Right. Um, I like the, I would say I'm a more hybrid type of, I like a little bit, just kind of be like, Oh, I'm in a good mood. And then enough to be like, but I still want to hang out and chill and watch a movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily like the high energy because I'm high energy myself. And so the way, the reason why I use cannabis is to bring my energy kind of a little bit down, just like moderate it so that my anxiety can kind of just be a little bit toned down whereas I know other people will smoke it so that they can go into social situations and be a little more outgoing and stuff like that but I don't need that help because I'm very (laughs) extroverted myself yeah that's so interesting so I mean you said that you started out though using before you before you were growing before you had your little uh cannabis plant there you were using a cannabis oil do you still use that yeah I do and I don't know if uh I don't, we, we don't have any right now, but we, my, I, my husband also kind of uses it too, which like is so funny because he came from a family that was like, if you smoke, you're a loser and like, don't like, but he has seen the benefits of cannabis oil as well. 
Um, so right now I don't have any, um, but it's, you know, I'll probably just grab some in the next few days when I'm out next. The one thing I like about the cannabis oil before you go to bed is that I always explain it like this, like, you know how when you're laying in bed sometimes at night and your body kind of like, it takes like a little while for it to relax. You kind of feel like all the, like the aches and bone of your bones and stuff throughout the day. And you're like, Oh, it's going to take me a while to get to sleep because it's just figuring out the right position. Well, Mm -hmm. I feel like cannabis oil, like completely takes that away from you. It's like you take it 20 minutes before you go to bed, you lay down and you're already relaxed and you just go, okay, good night. (laughs) (laughs) And it's perfect. Right. And, um, I need sleep. I need sleep to continue on this wellness journey that I'm on and without sleep it creates a havoc wreaks havoc in my life I you know I get inflammation um you know I wake up with immense brain fog I'm just like and it just kind of like ricochets into each new day so Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah I mean sleep is critical to everything right it's kind of like the base of just overall health and wellness and a lot of times people who suffer, you know, from insomnia and whatnot, they see that uh, just kind of create different effects and different illnesses in their life. That's all yeah, from I think there. It goes hand in hand with the anxiety as well, where you're obsessing over the same thing over and over and over again. And I found the same thing with cannabis use, uh, especially CBD. I mean, you could have a really, really high CBD to low THC. And that anxiety is almost gone instantaneous, instantaneously. Yeah, for sure. And it allows you to really just like, you know, snap out of that and be like, okay, you know, why am I anxious? Or, you know, like work through kind of like why your anxiety has presented itself. Well, and there's also studies that have been done that I know you have PCOS, but that have linked infertility to anxiety. And so thankfully, they're actually starting to do studies to that link the endocannabinoid system to fertility. They already know that they're, they're, um, that they're connected. And so it will be really interesting once these studies are published and, and completed that, that the reduction that cannabis provides for anxiety, reduced anxiety, calming effects um, could actually play a role in fertility and, um, and helping patients. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The number one critical um, thing that I've been told by multiple doctors is I need to reduce stress and anxiety because it puts pressure on my thyroid and my adrenals. And then those are the ones that communicate to my ovaries and communicate to my reproductive system. And so whenever I have high anxiety, it's just like a constant cycle of being like, Oh, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. And then I'm going to give you extra estrogen, or I'm going to give you extra testosterone because it's just like, so out of whack. And so hundred percent, like if I can keep my anxiety levels down, which is, you know, we all know it's so hard to do. <laughs> but we all try many different things. And, uh, you know, cannabis is one thing that I think is the number one thing that I find when I consume it, it allows me to just take that moment that I need to, to kind of address it. It, It's, you know, it's a wonder drug. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's a, a, and for me, for with my second son, when we were trying to get pregnant, it took 18 months. And the reason I'm convinced that I couldn't get pregnant is because we were building a house. I was working full time. I had a toddler and I was just so overwhelmed, so stressed. Mm-hmm. Literally a week after we moved into our new house, it was completely done. I got pregnant. So yeah. it was just taking one major thing off my plate. Um, and it's it's just that stress and anxiety that absolutely impacts. Uh, and that's been proven. So you can you think about the fact that cannabis helps with those two things. Um, yeah, how it could sure. po- potentially help women. And it's not something, unfortunately, that's being discussed in the medical community. No, it's so taboo. I know, um, I don't know if, you know, you can relate to this, but even just the mere thought of like saying to a coworker that, you know, hope you have a great evening. Like, what are you up to tonight? And they're like, oh, I'm going to go for drinks. Like, I wish that sometimes I could say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go home and smoke a joint. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one day, we'll, one you'll day be we'll, <laughs> we'll get there, but it's like the reason why they're going for a drink is the same reason why I'm going to smoke a joint. Right? Absolutely. Like, and, and so it's like one of those things that, you know, we just stomp that stigma a bit more. Right. And I love that message yes. that you guys are bringing here. Yeah, yeah. We actually have a category. One of our benefits is social. And we, in, in our newest shoot, it's really cute. Like we have champagne glasses that are filled with gummies. And so I feel like the more people start to see it as um, something that you do with other people. And that isn't just that couch locks donor, 25 year old guy, um, the more acceptable it will become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we're talking about stigmas around cannabis, but in what you're doing and like the message that you're sharing, there's definitely a bit of a stigma as well. Like with talking about so openly, like you are women's health and infertility and all the things that you're going through. So, you know, I'm just curious, like what have you been experiencing with that? And I don't know, just kind of share with the audience, like why that message is so important to you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I've actually been trying, it's been hard trying to find the words, I think sometimes because it's such a personal experience for me, but I think what I can sum it up to most is that um, there's the facts are facts, right? So they say one in six in Canada, one in eight in the US will experience infertility. It's when you say it like that, it's actually quite alarming. Um, And and the one thing too specifically that I I would like to point out is that that actually only relates to hetero couples. So that doesn't relate to same sex couples, doesn't relate to single parents, sperm, people get a lot of sperm donors and just want to raise kids on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one thing I think that is important is that it's not like infertility is not um, how to wait. I don't know how to describe it other than it's like, there are treatments that you can get to help with it that should be deemed medically necessary, right? Like, so IVF, IUI, um, sperm donor, egg donor, all these types of things are ways to combat, combat infertility. But the stigma around 
the access to who should get it is like completely it's just one-sided it's very elitist um it requires a lot of money it requires a lot of knocking on doors requires a lot of own individual research too so you know my family gp i know way more about infertility than they do because i have spent way too much time on the internet um Facebook groups are becoming the only way to find source for, you know, um, different types of procedures and like protocols and, oh my God, like some people talk about ways to like do at home, like intrauterine insemination. Like it's just, wow, it's so alarming to me that there's such a huge subsector of people right now who are experiencing infertility and don't have proper access to healthcare. Yeah, no, I love that so much. I think that's really important. And I definitely, you know, think that you're on the right path to continue to share that message. And it's definitely important what you're doing. So I guess just to kind of wrap things up here, Amy, do you have any like parting comments or any message that you feel like is really important to share with, you know, other women who are potentially out there listening to this. And that could be about your journey. That could be about your cannabis use or, you know, all of the above. Yeah. uh, First and foremost, cannabis use obviously is a personal decision. Um, It is something that has helped me and something that you both have shared that you've um, used but it's a personal decision and it's something that, you know, if you're interested in doing it, you know, obviously seek advice within your own community and experiences and everything. Um, consult a professional if you're interested. Um, and, and the other thing too is aside from everything, infertility and PCOS and everything is, I think one thing that we kind of forget to do is, hold space for each other is that they're we're in a really unprecedented time and I, I think <laughs> we you know when we when I say that everyone's like oh gosh I don't know how many times I've heard that unprecedented word but there really is no other way to describe it other than unprecedented and we're starting to see that there is so much disparity in this world so much you know oppression so much hurt and so much you know, loss. And I think what we've, you know, forgotten along the way before COVID is that it's really important we hold space for each other, hold space so that we are here to actively listen and we be participants in people's lives in a positive way. And we're not here to pass judgment on people, especially by their Instagram profile or by, (laughs) you know, what you see on the internet. Oh my gosh. That's so great. That's such a powerful message. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. And thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. It's really been a pleasure and yeah, we'll hopefully be uh, chatting here again soon. (laughs) I'd love to. Thanks for listening to the show today, everyone. We hope that you enjoyed our chat with Amy as much as we did. And we definitely recommend finding her on Instagram. That's at AI. M-Z-T-E-R-R-I-O at Ames Terrio. This podcast is sponsored by Palmer Jane. 
Palmer Jane is the only female-focused online marketplace offering guidance to women on how to maximize the benefits of cannabis in your area. Check us out at www.palmerjane.com and on Instagram at palmerjanesocial. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time.